Tappers, what's up? It is the Friday edition of the Daily Tap. We are going to talk about why player empowerment does not mesh with draft and develop based on some comments from Aaron Rodgers on Wednesday. Go through that. We'll maybe talk a little bit about what Goot said. Uh, it, but I really don't know if there was anything notable from Goot, but we'll mention it at least. Keep the people happy. Uh, we will also talk about the Bucks draft pick drafting Mamu. We're not going to talk about the Greek guy they drafted as well. I, th- I was going to have a headline. I didn't write anything for Snowtap WI, but it was going to be the Bucks draft two guys with last names I can't pronounce. Um, but I don't know. Maybe some of you would have found that xenophobic. We're all soft in 2021, so I have no idea. But seriously, I can't pronounce Mamu's name. I've watched him at Seton Hall for a couple years now. Um, there is no way I'm going to even try to pronounce his name uh just can't do it um i i will get to it as i watch him play i think it's mamus shidasvili i think that's kind of i think i'm close there but we'll talk about him uh lastly we'll see what the brewers can do at the trade deadline we'll talk about what the dodgers did why the padres deal for daniel hudson actually made me more upset than what the dodgers did Uh, but we'll talk about all of that uh today good podcast excited for it but let's start with the green bay packers So we are on day two of the detente, if you will, between Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packer organization. Rodgers and the Packers are, I would say, still at odds, right? They're not perfect. It's not going to be a lovely relationship. It's not going to be rainbows and unicorns. Just because these two sides basically gave their opinions doesn't mean that everything is copacetic and everybody is friends again because that's not the case. Um, Rodgers called the relationship with Brian Gunacoust a professional one at that. And I think that's probably the way it's going to be for the rest of the year. I It's weird. I was thinking about it today. I wrote about Brian Gunacoust for snowtapwi.com. Soon to be tabbing the keg.com, by the way. I was hoping to do that yesterday. Just did not get to it. Um, hopefully this weekend we are going to make the full transition. And then on Sunday it will be tabbing the keg uh, starting on August 1st. But it, that's a side note. But anyways, I wrote today about... Brian Gunacus, and I was thinking about the scene in Major League when the Indians win the pennant and Charlie Sheen goes up to Roger Dorn, or not Charlie Sheen, Rick Vaughn, played by Charlie Sheen, goes up to Roger Dorn, played by Corbin Burnson, and he like shakes him and he's happy and then Burnson punches him in the face. Like that's how I feel like Rogers and Gunacus would be if they won a Super Bowl. Like I think Rogers they would like, you know, be celebrating together and then I think Rogers would punch him in the face. Not not really, but that's kind of how I feel like the relationship is. And I think part of the issue and what really is the fissure is not necessarily Brian Gunacus's fault, rather it is Ron Wolf's fault. It's what the Packers have been doing for years, for decades even. And it is the draft and develop philosophy versus the new player empowerment era and we're not it's not just in basketball it's not just in in baseball it's in everywhere right like Nolan Arenado wanted out of Colorado after two years of his deal or one and a half I can't remember and guess what Arenado got his wish Arenado now on the St. Louis Cardinals Max Scherzer didn't really want to play in New York now granted he had a, a no trade clause but he preferred to go to an NLS team Max Scherzer got traded there you go that's player empowerment right there 
on full display in baseball. Basketball, it runs rampant. It's been a thing for forever. I mean, the James Harden stuff, Anthony Davis, um, to name a few. People thought Giannis Antetokounmpo would pull that trigger. He didn't, obviously, and decided to come to the Bucks. But trust me, Giannis has had a voice with the Bucks organization. I know he had interest in Drew Holiday. He had interest in Bogdan Bogdanovich. Granted, both should be Bucks. Shout out to Woj, that snake. Who made sure that that didn't happen but player empowerment has run rampant and in the nfl it's just starting and it, even though it has begun it really hasn't necessarily worked out for the players because the nfl for every reason is a strong institution and and they've been able to sort of buck the trend in general. Um, we had Chandler Jones request the trade. We'll see if Chandler Jones will actually get traded from Arizona. We have Xavier Howard request the trade from the Miami Dolphins. We'll see if Xavier Howard gets traded. We had Russell Wilson being upset all offseason and wanting to trade himself. Now, Russell Wilson's back to work. He's being a good soldier. Everything that basically was said this offseason seems to be thrown under the rug. Deshaun Watson is right now practicing with the Houston Texans. Still once out, but Deshaun Watson is practicing with the Texans. I think Deshaun Watson has bigger fish to fry, but that is just me. And then obviously there's Aaron Rodgers. So all of these guys are part of the new player empowerment era in the NFL, but it has not worked like basketball. It has not worked like baseball. And I think the reason is, is because A, the salary cap is a lot tougher to navigate. With baseball, you have no salary cap. There's a hard cap, but you don't really have to worry about a cap. And then for basketball, I don't know, man. They are it's like they're better at it, or they I think maybe it's because they have less players. Maybe that's it, right? So you're able to kind of make some cap math work and make sure that this happens. And if you go into the luxury tax, you go into the luxury tax. Football doesn't really have a luxury tax. I don't think they do at least. They might. Um, but regardless, it, it's a lot harder to figure out how all of this comes together. And that's why you haven't seen a lot of player movement. That's why Russell Wilson didn't get traded this offseason. That's why Deshaun Watson didn't get moved. Now, granted, it's probably due to what's going on in the legal system. But seriously, like it's really hard to craft a good NFL trade. It, they don't happen that often. And it, that's, that's purposeful. So the player empowerment era, as much as Aaron Rodgers wants it to be a thing, it just doesn't exist. It's not the way to do it in the NFL. Like the NFL does not necessarily cater to player empowerment. And even though all of these guys would like it to be how they'd like it to be the NBA, it just isn't. There's no guaranteed contracts. That's another huge thing, right? There's no guaranteed money. So they could cut bait whenever they really want. And the fact of the matter is, is like, this is just, it's it's unheard of. Yeah, DeAndre Hopkins got traded after he signed his big deal with, with Houston. But there are so few examples of it because it's just hard to maneuver around it. So this brings us back to the player empowerment versus draft and develop. And I think forever and ever, Aaron Rodgers will not be able to understand, nor will Jordan Love, nor will anyone else who takes the reins at the Packers organization, will be able to understand that Green Bay is not going to just hold on to old guys. 
you know, Aaron Rodgers talked about basically the disrespect that Charles Woodson, Jordy Nelson, Julius Peppers, Clay Matthews, Randall Cobb, James Jones, John Coombe, Brett Good, TJ Lang, Brian Bulaga, Casey Hayward, and Micah Hyde got. He felt like they weren't even offered a contract or were extremely low ball and not given the respect that these guys deserve during their status and stature of their high character. I kind of butchered Rodgers' quote, but you get the point. That's basically, Rogers basically said, look, the Packers made it so that these guys sought other money. That these guys basically were told, we don't want you, fuck off. And so here's where I have a problem with it. Because there were guys that were drafted to replace these players. You saw it with Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb. They drafted Jamon Moore, didn't work out obviously, Aquanimus St. Brown and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. The writing was on the fucking wall before Cobb and Nelson's last year. And this is stuff the Packers have done over and over again as making sure that they have a replacement. Now, it hasn't always worked out. You know, Micah Hyde not bringing him back was a disaster. They were a mess in the secondary after that. Charles Woodson, whether or not he talks to the Packers about becoming a safety, he probably should have. Or if Dom Capers didn't believe that he could be a safety and then saw what he did at with the Oakland Raiders, they probably should have fired Dom, Dom Capers then and said, where were you on that, asshole? Because that should have been a sign that Dom Capers didn't know what the fuck he was doing. But instead, we let Dom Capers drift for another three or four years. And you look at this and it's a lot of defensive guys. And so part of me wonders, like, okay, it... Was it maybe because Capers just had an issue with older players or didn't think they had it anymore and didn't fit his system? Or was it the Packer organization, the scouts saying, we have to move on from these guys because we have young guys that are ready to go? It's probably more of the latter because that's what draft and develop is. It's we draft these guys, we develop these guys, and we get to a certain point where we're like, all right, now we have to start all over again. And it's basically how to avoid rebuilds. And the Packers have been wildly successful doing that, right? And yeah, some years they're a little younger than they should be, and they should have that inf- you know, infusion of veteran veteran talent. But I I think, and even though the Favre stuff is not comparable, I agree with people on that, this is really similar to what Favre dealt with in the early stages of Ted Thompson. They got rid of so many veterans because that was what Ted Thompson did. Ted Thompson wasn't about to keep around a bunch of old guys. He wanted to inject this team with young talent. And so continuing to inject guys with young talent leads to success. Like what if Rashawn Gary has a massive year this year? What if Rashawn Gary breaks out? And I think he will. I, I am very much on board with that. I saw someone else have that on Twitter or on Instagram. I am so on board with the Rashawn Gary breakout season. But what if he does? He's a starter then. So then that probably means you cut bait with either Preston Smith or Zadarius Smith. That's how draft and develop fucking works. And yes, that means there are consequences with it, okay? Like, it's not perfect. It's not the right system. It's never going to make players feel good because they're always getting replaced. And unfortunately, even generational talent can have that feeling of getting replaced and that's what Aaron Rodgers is dealing with Aaron Rodgers didn't think he would be part of this 
draft and develop. He thought he was above it. He thought that he was better than being part of the draft and develop. So when Green Bay drafted Jordan Love, even though Aaron Rodgers says it's not about Jordan Love, he realized then and there, I am just another veteran that Green Bay is going to let go or trade to make sure that the guy we drafted develops into a star. And then watching Jordan Love, and players have said this on multiple podcasts where they know immediately if a guy is good or not, Rodgers knows Love's good. Love had a good play yesterday in training camp. Like, I think people know Jordan Love's good. And the fact is, is like, Rodgers is like, fuck, I am screwed here. I don't want to change teams. I want to be a Green Bay Packer until I'm done. That's what I thought the contract meant. And now you're saying this is bullshit? And so Rodgers then raised hell. So player empowerment and draft and develop is never going to work. But Green Bay has been right more than they have been wrong. If you go through that list of players, Charles Woodson, wrong, okay? Jordy Nelson, probably right, but I will admit if you gave Nelson a good deal him and Rodgers could have played pretty well together throughout that but I think Green Bay was in a transition that they didn't tell anybody about Nelson Cobb were part of the old hat with McCarthy and I wanted to start kind of a new how would have Nelson and Cobb responded to Matt LaFleur's system I don't know right and Jordy Nelson at some point was ready to retire he had about two years left he maybe should have finished out as a Packer, but Jordy Nelson was not anything without Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers made Jordy Nelson. I'm sorry. He just did. And he made Jordy Nelson into a lot better player. And so maybe Green Bay was concerned that Nelson had lost a step. I don't know. Julius Peppers, yeah, probably could have probably could have helped out. Peppers, I know, wanted to stay here. Green Bay just did not have interest. Okay. Clay Matthews, kind of washed up all right he, he didn't have anything left Randall Cobb okay I, I will see right if Randall Cobb shows out maybe maybe he's right but Randall Cobb was really injured last year he didn't play much Dallas he was productive he made the playoffs I believe with that Cowboys team James Jones nah not much after John Kuhn no who cares right he's a fullback no disrespect to John Kuhn I like John Kuhn I'd interview John Kuhn but fullbacks are a dime a dozen same with Brett Good dime a dozen just because they're your fucking friends doesn't mean that they they deserve the the runway that you might get tj lang was washed up tj lang did not have anything left brian bulaga we'll see right he's in year one he got hurt last year as brian bulaga does casey hayward micah hyde probably should have been packers but casey hayward didn't really have a position with the packers so again I think Dom Capers had a lot to do with this. I'm not kidding. Like I I think you gotta that that's an underrated part is that Dom Capers system might have fucked up a lot of the things that the Packers were doing and that even though it is draft and develop, are we sure that Dom Capers system didn't also factor into a lot of these guys leaving? I think so. Also tough look for guys like Josh Sitton, Greg Jennings. 
a few others that Jimmy Graham, um, a few others that, that basically Rogers was like, yeah, I'm not going to mention those guys. Tough, tough to not be part of that. The Rogers, the Rogers mafia. Also, good friend AJ Hawk not mentioned. People, people forget. Uh, McAfee gave uh, Rogers shit about that as well. So where does this go? Does draft and develop stay, or does player empowerment become part of the Packers' way, quote unquote? It really will depend on the next five to ten years. If Green Bay gets rid of Aaron Rodgers next year, they trade him, or they trade him the year after, and Jordan Love ends up being this awesome player and wins a Super Bowl or two with the Green Bay Packers, draft and develop still lives on. If Aaron Rodgers goes on and plays for another team, whomever that may be, and he wins a Super Bowl, and the Packers start to fade a little bit. Love isn't the player they thought he was. They have to basically go and do the same thing over again. Then it's going to be Aaron Rodgers is right. And I said this on Wednesday. I will say this again. We are not going to have the final answer to all of this until I am in my 40s, (laughs) which, goddamn. But that's crazy, right? Like, we'll know in seven years. We'll know where the trajectory of this team is. And it's the same with the New England Patriots. The New England Patriots had this exact conversation with Tom Brady, right? It was a little different, but it was similar. And we won't know until the Patriots, until five years, right? If Tom Brady wins another Super Bowl this year, and he has nine, which is unbelievable, then yeah, the Patriots are going to look like assholes. No way about it. But if Tom Brady got that one ring, and then the rest of the way, it's he kind of starts fading, and the Patriots are this consistent juggernaut. Maybe they're not winning Super Bowls, but they're in the playoffs, and they're contending for Super Bowls, and Mac Jones looks like the real deal. They're right, and they were right to get rid of Brady. So there you have it. We'll see. It's a fascinating thing to watch for the next five to ten years. And with our sports media, unfortunately, Takes are going to fly, and every time the Packers do something well and, and they have like an awesome record and Aaron Rodgers playing great, Aaron Rodgers was right. And then if the Packers struggle, it's like, well, maybe Aaron Rodgers was wrong. And unfortunately, that's not how you should do this conversation. This conversation is one that we probably need to have every year until we finally have an ending and we can put a period and close the book on it. Moving on to the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks decided to get out of the number 31 draft pick. They traded it to Indiana. Uh, They got the 54th and the 60th pick of the draft. As I said in the open, they drafted the center from Seton Hall, and we will try to pronounce his name. We're going to do it. Sandro Mamushevsky, I think I did it. He's a senior. He is 6'9", 240, 22 years old. Mamu is his nickname. He was very good for Seton Hall. He was very annoying for Seton Hall. As someone who is a Big East fan, uh, Mamu is was kind of a terror to Marquette. Um, so I think I do have a little bit of a bias, shall we say, because I watched Mamu just absolutely tear up the Milwaukee Bucks, or Milwaukee Bucks, Marquette Golden Eagles. Uh, he he has an interesting skill set. And as all as it's been said kind of across the board is like, this guy can make plays and create shots, but 
the fact of the matter is, is like he still has a long way to go, and he and is is twenty two. That's that's kind of tough, right? Like you wish he was like two years younger and say, all right, we have this runway to kind of make Mamu a better player. Like in a weird way, if I look at his skill set, he seems like a combination of Giannis and Brook Lopez. I am not comparing him to Giannis. All I'm saying is he has playmaking ability at six eleven that is similar to Giannis. And, and you could say because he's Eastern European, actually, I think he's from Georgia, which I, might be in Asia. I don't know. Not, not a geography quiz here, but he does have some Jokic in him. And I, I don't see that comparison. And maybe that's a little too heavy, but it sounds very Jokishy, right? Like he creates shots for his teammates. He's huge. He's able to kind of run the court. Like, doesn't that kind of sound like Jokic in a way? To me, it does. And now he has some really bad mechanics on his shot, so the Bucks are going to have to work with him on that. He he can rebound, but it's not it's not one of his best. Um, they they criticize him for not being able to have post moves. He just kind of powers into guys. Again, these are workable things. He doesn't really defend well. Um, he's slow, so that's that is a problem. Um, that to me kind of scares me with what the Bucks do defensively. Um, that to me is like all right maybe if we drop him down to 220 would his defense get better i don't know um so the bucks have some work with him he's definitely a guy that's not going to be an immediate um kind of useful player for the bucks i think they're going to kind of see what they have right and not necessarily player i think we expected i think we all expected them to go with a guard to go with somebody who could kind of contribute right away and the fact they traded out of 31, I think upset it, upset a lot of people. My only POV on that is they believe that Jordan Nora and Sam Merrill can be contributors this year. That's what I read from that. That they basically said, all right, we're going to take a guy for less money at 54 and 60 where we won't have to pay him. I actually think the kid from Greece, he's going to be a stash. So I don't even think he counts against the cap. And so they basically can stash him in, have him play overseas, and then in a couple of years, bring him in if if he develops into what, what he should be, or you, you put him in a trade package and you just trade his rights. So that, I think, doesn't even count against the cap for the for the Milwaukee Bucks. So yes, they did this draft cheap. I'm not surprised the Bucks did this draft cheap. They also got some additional assets from Indiana, which is helpful when it comes around the deadline time, right? When you're trying to make moves to get that next version of P.J. Tucker, you have those extra assets that usually are helpful when draft time rolls around. So that to me is is equally important. And yeah, it would have been nice to get a guy like Ayo DeSumo who went way too low to the Chicago Bulls. That was a great pick by the Bulls taking Ayo. Miles McBride also there at 31. So that hurt, right? Like it hurt the day that McBride and Ayo were there. And they were available for Milwaukee to draft. And they obviously decided to punt on that. We'll see if that comes back to haunt them. Who knows what the Bucks have planned for this free agency. And I hope they don't sit on their hands. Because that would be the last thing I would want. And Mamu does not seem like a guy who's like, all right, he's a Bobby Portis replacement. Obviously similar in height to Bobby Portis. But a little bit bigger. I don't think he is Bobby Portis' replacement. I don't think... Mamu is a rotational guy out the box. And unfortunately, there were guys available at 31 that could have been rotational guys, could have been guys that you played in the playoffs. I think with 
his negatives, I just don't see it. His positives, I could say, oh yeah, for sure. You bring that guy in for 10 minutes, have him create, have him make plays for for your shooters on the outside and kind of work in that second unit. But I just, I don't know yet. I have to see it. And who knows? Maybe they have a vision. Maybe they look at it and say, all right, this guy is you know what we need. Also, too, it's fair, and I know that scouts have scouts are doing draft research while the finals is going on. But this could have been really uncharted waters for the Bucks, and the Bucks just didn't really have the time and the effort to be like, all right, what do we want to do here? Or that Drew Holiday knocking the Bucks into the luxury tax affected them kind of going cheap here. That's also potential. But yeah, the Bucks. I, I'm not going to like not trust the Bucks because they won a championship. Like I saw people being very critical of Milwaukee and I'm like, guys, we won a fucking championship nine days ago. Can you relax? Can you just settle down? Like it's not that big of a deal that we didn't draft Miles McBride or Ayo DeSumo. It would have been great to have either of them. They would have been great players for the Bucks. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to be mad about it. But that said, it's not the end of the world. This team has won a championship. We have to, got to kind of change our, our fandom. And I, I'll, that's probably a great podcast before the season starts. But we do have to like change how Bucks fandom has been for the last, I don't know, 10 years, 20 years. Like the pessimistic Bucks shit just can't really happen anymore. At least for a couple of years. Like you got to give it two years at least before then you can start getting cranky again. In my opinion. I know some will be like, fuck you, I'm going to stay cranky. Great, cool. But I just, I think after you win a championship, you can't act like you need to be the same sort of doom and gloom, but not trust the Bucks bullshit that we've seen for the last, I don't know, 10, 20 years. Let's wrap up the show with the trade deadline plus a little Brewer talk here and there. Now let's start with the Brewers because the deadline is going to be at 3 o'clock today. So if you listen to this on the weekend, you're like, Charlie, the deadline already happened. You ignoramus. Well, if you want my opinion, want a little inside baseball here, no pun intended, the reason we put it at the end is so you're like, all right, I've already listened to everything and the deadline happened. Then I can turn it off and I can move on to Simmons or Sillo, part of my take, whatever whatever floats your boat. Um Call her daddy if you're into that. If you need a little sex tips on the weekend, I don't know. I don't know what you're into. Um, but anyways, um, basically that's why I put it at the very end. So then it's like, all right, the same thing with with the NBA draft yesterday, where I was like, I hope the Raptors don't draft Jalen Suggs. That turned out to be true. Fucking love that. Love the that the Raptors did that. But it was the exact same reason. So then you're like, all right, draft already happened. I don't need to listen to this. It's how it works, man. Know the podcast game one time for me. I'm fighting with no one. Just just kind of being a dick on this Friday morning because I want to be. But anyways, uh, the Brewers had a very nice week. Uh, they sweeped the Pirates. They outscored them 28-3. to Just an absolute shit pumping of the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I think we always thought the Pirates could be bad. But now that they've gotten rid of Adam Frazier... Tyler Anderson also got they got rid of. I don't know if they're going to make any more moves um, for at the deadline, but it's clear that the Pittsburgh Pirates are bad. And now it's like, okay, take advantage of it. They play the Pirates again at Miller Park next week. It's like take advantage of this team just kind of figuring it out. Like whoever gets to play the Chicago Cubs this weekend, 
that's a massive advantage because the Cubs are still going to be figuring it out. Whoever plays the Nationals, again, big advantage because the the team chemistry, while not as important in baseball, I do think that these first few weeks of guys leaving is a lot for these players. And it's going to take some time for them to be like, all right, our guys are gone. We now have this new team, and here's how we're going to do it. Same with the Twins and Jose Barrios, who's probably going to get dealt to the Padres today. Like, that is going to take time for the Minnesota Twins to adjust to. Because Barrios was your ace. He was your guy. You made the playoffs last year. Won the division. Barrios led your team. And now you're like, okay, he's not on the team anymore. So... The fact of the matter is, is like the Brewers took full advantage of that. And they were so good. They've scored more than five runs in, I think, six or seven of their first 11 games now. Um, They've been a juggernaut. And now they go to Atlanta this weekend where you can hit some balls. Now, Atlanta's playing good. Like, Atlanta's kind of lurking. They're, they what they won two out of three or three out of four against the New York Mets this weekend. Atlanta is no slouch. And I've talked about that I just don't like playing at Atlanta's ballpark. I don't think it has been a good spot for the Brewers. And as Mitch said on our podcast earlier this week, you could probably say that about a lot of places in in baseball. And that's true because, look, it's, it's how it goes. But the Brewers are a season best 61 and 42. They are creeping towards that top spot in the National League right now. But yes, they play Braves team this weekend with Corbin Burns taking the, the ball tonight against Tuki Toussaint. Toussaint's a good player. Woodruff Kyle Mueller on Saturday, and then Brett Anderson and Charlie Morton on Sunday. So you'd like to get Burns and Woodruff and then kind of house money against Atlanta. But I'd argue if you win tonight, you've had four wins on the road, then you're kind of house money the rest of the way because four and two road trips are always going to be a good thing. I'm never going to be mad about a four and two road trip. That's just, it's always good. That's that's always a good situation uh, for the crew. But yeah, Atlanta's Atlanta's trying to get back into this thing, man, and trying to sort of make themselves a contender again in the NL East. And the Brewers obviously need to be cognizant of that because they could be playing an NL East team come the postseason. The Atlanta Braves are four back of the New York Mets. They're 51 and 52. But the Braves have a plus 47 run differential. So if you're looking at that run differential, that would tell you that Atlanta might be the best team in the National League. And they've just had some bad luck so far. So they might be a little underrated. Because you look at run differentials in all of the National League, the Dodgers lead it at 148. Then you have the Giants at 188. And then you have the San Diego Padres at 93. Your Milwaukee Brewers at 90. And then the Atlanta Braves at 47. That's pretty wild to me, right? That says Atlanta is a lot better than they are. So Brewers should not come in and think, okay, we're going to be able to do exactly what we did against Pittsburgh. Not that I'm saying they will. And they'll get Eduardo Escobar. He'll probably be in the lineup. Luis Arias actually had a good good week, which isn't surprising, right? You have a guy who's coming for your job, and you're going to obviously respond. So I do expect they will probably rotate Urias in, make sure he gets a little bit of starting time as well to give guys like Wong, Wong and Adamas some time off to just sort of make sure that these guys, not necessarily load manage, but make sure that they're not going to overdo it uh, in the final 60 games of the season. 
As for the deadline today, I would love to see the Brewers get a reliever. I don't know who that reliever is, but I think just getting a guy that could help out with the middle innings would be ideal. I kind of liked what the Dodgers did. I'm not with Scherzer and Turner, who we can talk about in a second here, but I like that they got Danny Duffy, and they got Danny Duffy as sort of a multi-inning relief guy. The Brewers could use another one of those because they've been doing the piggyback stuff with Hauser and Lauer and kind of making sure that Freddie Peralta isn't being overworked, making sure Burns isn't overworked. I think they could use another guy like that. That would be a savvy pickup for Milwaukee to sort of look at a team who's out of it and say, can we get you know some guy who's maybe not the best player, but a guy who could at least just be reliable for us? trying to think who of a good example of that my brain is short-circuiting uh that i can't think of a name here that would would work but that's like that danny duffy thing was savvy like even he's he was terrible to start the year but he's been really good recently like brad keller for the for the royals if we're using the royals example like brad keller would be fine which i can't believe i'm saying because i bet against brad keller a lot to start the season but he's been really good last last six weeks he's been very good so if you're convinced that that's not a fluke then you're like all right let's let's get on board here um if they did want to get some offense i mean luke voigt available from uh the new york yankees he's a right-handed power hitter first baseman they have a bunch of big boys already with rowdy tellis and dan vogelbach why not get another one just corner the market on big first baseman i have no issue with that Rowdy Tallis, by the way, just out of out of his world. So yet again, it's early, right? We'll see if this is just a hot streak for Rowdy. But yet again, David Stearns took advantage of a team who saw a guy who didn't have that good of a start in 2021, Adamus and Tellis, but they had good 2020s. And even though a lot of people are like, 2020 was a fluke season, David Stearns like, are you sure? And both Tellis and Adamus have been great for the Brewers. Um, we'll see if Rowdy can keep it up this weekend. But yeah, he is absolutely on fire right now for for the Milwaukee Brewers. But yeah, I need a reliever. Um, I was kind of mad Daniel, Daniel Hudson went to the Padres. I think that would have been an ideal guy to have for the Brewers. But yeah, Daniel Hudson going to the Padres was less than stellar. Um, would have preferred Huddy on the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, he has playoff experience, World Series experience. Would have definitely been a guy I would have liked in the Brewers bullpen. So I was mad at the Padres for doing that. The Dodgers getting Scherzer and Turner. Look, it's the fucking Dodgers. This is what they do. They they kind of load up at the deadline to try to make one big push at the World Series. They're not satisfied with one World Series. They want two World Series. I think. And I said it on the review that it was kind of a fluke last year. I think the Dodgers want to win one at home. And I that to me is why I think they went all in. And they made the deal for Turner and for Scherzer. Also to make the deal for Turner, you could basically say, all right, we're going to make a deal for Turner because Corey Seager might not be back next year. Don't have to re-sign Corey Seager. I actually think Turner's a free agent too. But we can kind of decide. Do we want Turner? Do we want Seager? Gavin Lux hasn't necessarily been the guy I think they expected. Um, so maybe you put Gavin Lux in a trade. I actually thought Gavin Lux was going to get traded in this deal, and he didn't, which surprised me. I thought that was a move the Nationals were going to make, but instead they got Kelbert Ruiz, who's a catcher that is, I think, 16th in overall in terms of prospects, and Josiah Gray, who has a chance to be a star who's already big league ready. So Josiah Gray can go right into the rotation. Now, is he going to be Max Scherzer? No, 
But is he a guy that maybe the Nationals can build around with Juan Soto? Yes, same with Calvert Ruiz, right? You know, build around those young talent and basically have a young core. And who knows? Maybe the Nationals are right back where they were. It's crazy that the Nationals were like red hot like a month ago and where I think David Aldridge noted this, like a game out of first place and then they just fell apart. It's baseball. I mean, the Cubs, right? Like, the Brewers are the whole reason I think the Cubs sold. Like, the Brewers sent the Cubs in an absolute tailspin. They lose 10 straight games. The Cubs trade Anthony Rizzo, which is crazy. I I don't know. That, to me, would have been really hard as a fan. I, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I, I think Anthony Rizzo means a lot to Chicago. And it, it would be... So maybe it's different, right? Because he's younger and he had a deal coming and the Brewers had Ryan Braun locked up. But it, it's kind of on par with trading Ryan Braun, in my opinion. Like, eh, why get rid of a guy like that? Why get rid of a guy that was kind of your cornerstone? Like Chris Bryant, while popular and won an MVP, Chris Bryant was not as popular as Anthony Rizzo. There are so many people right now in Chicago who have Anthony Rizzo jerseys, who've named their dog Rizzo or Riz. Like, there is a lot of, like, Anthony Rizzo love that goes beyond the diamond. And I just wonder if that was the right move by the Cubs. And if you are going to just retool and not necessarily do a full rebuild, then why would you trade Anthony Rizzo? Guy was the heart and soul of your team. I would have definitely traded Chris Bryant, who might still go today. That, to me, seems like the Giants move, right? The Giants have to make a big move today. That is what has to happen. And if if there's one thing that has to happen, it's the Giants. If the Giants sit on their hands today, man, that, that would be playing with fire, given what the Dodgers did and what the Padres are going to do. Because A.J. Preller, with the Dodgers making that move, A.J. Preller is going to be a fucking madman today. And he's going to get Barrios. Who knows? Maybe he'll get somebody else. He's going to go crazy. So the Giants have to do something. And if it's Chris Bryant, it's a pretty good deal for the Giants. And the Cubs then basically start all over, which is crazy. And the World Series, which was five years ago, is an afterthought. And the Cubs kind of go back to being lovable losers and kind of look for their next version of Rizzo and Bryant. And I just don't know if they have that in their farm system. Time will tell. And I know that you're like, Charlie, this is probably the nicest you've ever been about the Cubs. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes I have a little bit of a heart. It's Friday. I've went way too long today. I didn't realize I'm already at 38 minutes. All right, that does it for our show. Um, take care. Back tomorrow, we'll uh, recap the deadline if any moves were made on Monday. We'll also talk about the Brewers-Braves series. We'll see if anything comes out of Packer training camp this weekend. And maybe we'll do some realignment stuff. I haven't talked about the realignment, the Texas-Oklahoma thing at all. Um, there's just been so much shit going on that it's been down my, down on my list. So we'll try to maybe get to that. If not, Monday, we'll definitely try to do that Tuesday. All right, take care, guys. Have a great weekend. You're out at Brewfest. Make sure you say hello. I'll be there. Uh, we'll have some beers. We'll talk sports. Happy to do that with you all. All right, see you. Bye.